to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Darren and Alex uh, wished, of course, Darren's supposed to have uh, been here to speak on this today because, for a couple of reasons, principally because... Um, This is so close to the heart of what the garden is about, the text that we look at this morning, and it's so close to Darren and Alex's own heart. Uh, Ezra is in process of finalizing recovery, so he's kind of out of the woods, uh, for which we are very, very grateful for those of you, particularly this past week, who have uh, spent time fasting and praying, not just for his uh, physical health, but for their spiritual protection as a family. Uh, he um, uh, wanted me particularly to say thank you, and uh, um, uh, hopefully we'll get back on track with uh, with uh, with Darren uh, uh, here next week. I did say to him, though, as a dad, that he's making the right decision not to come into work today. Um, so um, um, I, I uh, am so grateful for the lessons I'm learning from him uh, in our in our partnership. Um, that said, uh, the text this morning is, is, a, is a huge one, uh, and, and it, it is kind of Jesus' um, kind of uh, statement of identity in terms of mission. Remember, in the last couple of weeks, we talked about Jesus' identity as knowing that he is beloved of the Father. Now we turn the corner, and Jesus makes public statement of who he is and what he is about in a way of defining and framing his mission. Uh, and so if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we probably ought to write this part down. Because this is what he's about, so it ought to be what we're about. Does that make sense? So we're in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, if you've got Bibles with you, please feel free to turn to them. Luke chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 14 through 30, a, a chunk of Scripture. Um, while we have been doing kind of flyover of the, of the Gospel of Luke, just in the interest of, of, of focus towards Easter, etc. Um, we do want to dig in uh, more intentionally into this passage because it's important both for Jesus and this, thus for us. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. We're going to read through the whole text once, then we're going to come back and look at what he's saying to us. So, uh, Jesus uh, um, uh, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, News spread about him through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So he went up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet was handed. Uh, prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Hmm. Jesus said to them, Surely 
You'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land, but Elijah was not sent to any of them, but rather to a widow in Zarephath. In the region of Sidon, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, a Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So we're going to go back up, walk through this. You'll notice that Luke does this kind of thing regularly. Verse 14 there says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This a main theme of Luke, the work of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. This summary statement is kind of Luke's way of introducing the next level of detail that he's going to ask us to push into. So we want, to, we want to recognize that boatloads of stuff happen in those two verses that Luke doesn't record for us, right? And it's fascinating for me, for somebody like me anyway, I, I always want to know what I'm not being told, right? But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit thought it less germane that to, uh, that to focus on those things than these. So you'll notice, for example, that later on Luke is going to refer to Capernaum But we have not so far seen Jesus' ministry in Capernaum. That's synopsized in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is beginning to travel. He's beginning to make a a name, if you will, for himself. And now returns to his hometown, to Nazareth. A little uh, kind of a bywater village on the way to nowhere. uh, 35, 40, maybe 50 homes at most. A couple, maybe 300 people at at its biggest a couple of miles down the road from the regional capital in Sephoris, where Jesus probably, with his father Joseph, helped to rebuild after it had been destroyed in an earthquake. Uh, this is the, 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 Nazareth is kind of a bedroom community for the larger, larger city. And so this is where we are uh, and, and as we begin in verse uh, 16. So let's go to that. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Two things. Uh, I'm going to keep stepping on this so I've got to move it. Sorry. Um, So as Jesus uh, moves into Nazareth, back home again, back where he was raised, back where he is familiar, he has already started, as you can tell, moving throughout the various parts of the countryside in the northern part of the region of uh, Galilee. He's far away from Jerusalem, which is kind of the center of Pharisaic or Rabbinic Judaism, although there is a large contingent of northern rabbis uh, in Sephoris. There's a large synagogue in that, in that region. But Jesus doesn't choose to, do, to go there. He goes back home. He has already begun to make a name for himself and goes into the custom. And as was his, his custom, it says... He, as an adult male, a Jew, has the right to read Torah, has the right to read Scripture, has the right to... St- so he stands 
and with that standing indicates his interest as an adult male of speaking to the congregation, speaking to the community that's gathered there. Notice that Jesus goes to synagogue on a regular basis. He is there as a pattern of his discipleship, if you will, a pattern of his following of God. He shows up. So what the implications for us are, make this part of your custom too. The question that I get asked all the time, well, can I be a disciple of Jesus and not go to church? The answer, no. Why? Because he did. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, you do what he did. So show up. Right? Not only did he show up, but he participated in the life of the community. He didn't show up and take notes. He didn't show up and Instagram. He showed up and participated with the gifts that he brought. So if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't do it in isolation. You've got to show up on a regular basis. D- does that make sense? So as, he's, as he does this, uh, serendipitously, wink, wink, nod, nod, the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, which is the text from which Jesus does most of his devotional life. If you want to understand Jesus, read Isaiah, because that's how he understood himself. The prophet Isaiah is the framing document for Jesus' self-understanding, as indicated in this text. If you want to really understand Jesus, uh, read Isaiah and read the Psalms. Those two twin books from the Old Testament. He references multiple other places in the Old Testament because by the age of 10 or 15, he would have had it memorized. As As a Jewish boy growing up in that culture, He would have memorized Genesis through Deuteronomy by the time he was 10. And then the rest of it thereafter. So Jesus is speaking out of his heart. He finds the scroll, the most sacred document in the entire synagogue, and reads from it the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58, and says uh, that says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, because the rest of the audience, at least the men in the audience, women uh, as separated from the men, but also had memorized much of Torah, wouldn't have had the same necessarily level of knowledge of the rest of the Old Testament, but the men would have. At least many of the men would have. And they would have recognized that he got the quote wrong. He left out a part, and he co-opted a passage from Isaiah 58 and stuck it at the end. Now, I'm, I'm thinking Jesus didn't forget the quote. You with me? So this is deliberate. This is intentional. This is his way of framing his self-understanding as he says that his primary... Self-understanding, his primary way, he misses the piece what talks about, that talks about the Lord's vengeance. He completely eliminates that. So this is a text that promises what happens when God comes to celebrate new life. This is what happens. He comes to whom? He comes to the poor. He comes to the prisoner. He comes to the blind. He comes to the oppressed. The work of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is to whom I'm sent, right? These are the people to whom I'm sent. And he forgets 
the primary messianic understanding that most of the people in the synagogue would have had awareness of. Because they were not all that concerned about much, in fact, like many of us. The poor, the oppressed, the prisoner. They wanted justice. And, and, and it's fascinating, whenever we talk justice, we assume that it will mean justice for us and our kinds of people. So Jesus takes that off the table. This is not about vengeance. This is not first about righting wrongs. There will come, later on in his ministry, he's going to reinsert that back into the story, but it's going to be not his business as the Messiah to bring justice at this stage in time. Right now, his good news is not, y'all are going to hell. His good news is, heaven has come on earth, and this is what it looks like. And it's primarily focused on the poor, the imprisoned, the oppressed, the damaged, the set-asides, the little children that are left with the trash on the edge of the field. That's for whom the gospel comes. That's to whom I am sent. And he adds this phrase from Isaiah 58 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In doing that, every good Jew in that audience would have recognized this is the description that accompanies the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, everything went back to zero. All of the debts were canceled. All of the land was restored to original owners. All of the... Uh, uh, the, those who had sold themselves into slavery to pay bills that they had acquired as a result of, of family disaster or whatever, all of those uh, who, who were in servitude were delivered and set free every 50 years. It's a great system, right? And Jesus is saying, now is that year. Now is that year, right? Now you can imagine, however, how much that good news comes to whom? to those who are in indentured service, to those who are poor, to those who are in prison, to those who are the oppressed. For whom is it not good news? For those who are making money off of the indentured servants. In other words, it's good news to the powerless. It's not good news to the people in power. You're starting to get a feel for the anxiety that's beginning to creep into the sanctuary. Wait a minute. You're not coming to bring justice to us, by which we mean very specifically delivering us from Roman oppression. The, great, the latest uh, celebration of which is two miles up the road in Sephoris that you helped rebuild. A Roman garrison there. All right? You're not coming to set us free from those people. And you're coming to let all the prisoners loose. Really? This is good news. And you're coming to cancel all debts. Wait a minute. I have a, I have a piece of paper here that says I owe you on it. That means I don't get to collect, right? Right. This is good news? Because remember, when Jesus comes, it costs everybody something. Everybody's got to take up your own cross. What's yours? It might be your debt isn't repaid. Not the one you owe, but the one you are owed. You okay with that? Because if the kingdom comes, then who cares about my debt being repaid? Apparently some of us are still thinking that through. <laughs> right? Wait a minute. I, I, I thought heaven was about my bank account growing larger. No. No. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Remember what they do with gold in heaven. We don't repay debt with it. We pave streets with it. 
Are you all okay? Where's Jeremy? Jeremy, come back. Help me. Okay. So, so as we come, this is, this is, so this is starting to bubble in the room. And then he sits down in the posture of a rabbi. In the posture of a rabbi. In, 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 in ancient culture, the, the teacher sat, the student stood. So let's, I think this is a good, no? Okay. So um, he's sitting down. He is assuming the role of a rabbi and his lesson begins with this statement. Today, today, this scripture, the year of Jubilee, gospel, good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the prisoner, to the downtrodden. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's not all he said. That's the first line of what he said. And then Luke records. Keep on uh, the next one there, Darren. Thank you. All who spoke spoke well of him, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now this, as you probably are already starting to figure out, goes a couple of ways. People are astounded at the wisdom of this. Wait a minute. This is Joseph's son. He's, he's a bit uppity. And, and you can see the raised eyebrows. This is Joseph's son. We all know the story. Right. So there was once an amazement. Yeah, he's really he's got some book learning. I'll tell you, the boys, the boys coming. Right. He's one of all, but right. And so there is this tension that Jesus is picking up in the room. And then I love this. He just calls it out. Um, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Before you start doing practicing on us, this is what the proverb means. Before you start doing surgery on us, let, let, how are you? Let, right? And so, and, and Jesus says, you want proof? Some of you are actually going to say, do here the miracles you did in Capernaum. Because he's done some pretty cool things in Capernaum. Here's the problem. No prophet is accepted in his own town. I assure you, and here's where he just steps over the line. It's like Jesus, stop talking now. Can you, can you see, can you see the, can you see the the the, the spin meisters on the sidelines there? The director off stage, shut it down, shut it down, turn his mic off, get him off the stage, stop the cameras rolling, right? Because now he's just going to step in it with both feet. Because he's saying something here, and and if again. You're all good, educated Jews, so you know the stories of these guys. In Elijah's time, one of the greatest prophets in Old Testament time and place, uh, there were the sky was shut for three and a half years, severe famine throughout the land. Nowhere felt, by the way, more so than in the northern part of the country. We're within sighting distance of Carmel, where the contest finally came down. Right? And Elijah wasn't sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Where's Sidon? It's outside of Israel. Elijah's ministry was not to the people of Israel to meet their needs. It was to people outside of Israel to meet her need. She was a Gentile. He completely bypassed the blessing of the Jews and blessed a Gentile woman. Right? And then, to make matters worse, he goes on and says... And there were many in Israel, in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, just Naaman, 
uh, Syrian, Gentile. So Jesus is saying something here. That is to say, my mission, my ministry is not just to the Jews, not just to the oppressed of the Jews, not just to the imprisoned of the Jews, not just to the uh, damaged, the poor of the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And in fact, some of you sitting here will not see any benefit at all of the kingdom of heaven's coming on earth. It will be reserved for people who aren't here. People who you wouldn't let in the door. I'm going to them. Do you see what he's doing here? He's inviting us into this, into this mission. How many recognize that this following Jesus is going to cost you something? Because if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, and this is where he's going, guess where you're going? Do you see? So this is, this is why uh, he, he, he uh, well, you can see their response. It's not very polite. All the people in the synagogue were furious. Luke does this all the way. There was probably one or two that weren't. But Luke summarizes and makes the statement. He'll use regularly cities. Everyone from the city of Jerusalem, well, maybe not. But that's his hyperbole to signify that by far the majority opinion was oppositional to him in the synagogue. So they were furious. They got up. They drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. How did he do that? Luke doesn't bother telling us. Isn't that annoying? It's like, it's like Harry Potter. The invisibility cloak, right? Or, or is it a, a Star Wars kind of teleporting thing? You, you know, what, no, that's, I got the wrong movie. Star Trek, thank you. That is, that is really, that's grounds for separation right there, I think. If I get the wrong reference, I'm... I'm Anyway, sorry. I'm just testing to see if you're awake. Um, so, they want proof of his authority. Jesus refuses to give it to them and instead pushes it back on them. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. The problem was they only had um, capacity for the kind of Messiah they wanted, not the kind of Messiah they needed. Anybody feel the weight of that? Anybody have a Jesus who will do what he will do, not what you want him to do? I want to push into a part of this, and this is why I think Darren wished he could have been here to do this and why I wish he could have been as well. Um, because if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you will inevitably be disappointed in him. Can I get a witness? If you follow Jesus for any length of time, inevitably you will be disappointed in him. Because he doesn't dance to your tune and he doesn't care what you think about him. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, by the way, that's where you're going too to the place where somebody might want to throw you off a cliff after preaching on a Sunday morning. Now, that's been years since that's happened to me. <laughs> but it makes me wonder if whether the gospel sometimes that I preach is the right gospel. I have this week 
um, and as a, largely as a result of this text, been pushed back into a reconsideration of the urban and rural per, poor. Um, because they're the ones to whom Jesus is sent. And, and, you know, we've heard a lot as a result of the Occupy movement of the 1%. Friends, it's not 1%. It's 0.1%. There, there, and I, and I, I'm not, I'm, I, please don't misunderstand me. I, 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 don't, I don't begrudge people the wealth that they have gained at the hard work that they have put in. I, I, I don't. But I think it's time for Jubilee. I think that, that we have to recognize that a good chunk of the wealth in this world has moved the way it has because of the oppression of the poor. And I think that some of the conversation that has been bubbling up as a result of a minor controversy, some of you may have read the, the, the blog that Dave Ramsey uh, quoted from, you know, the numbers of things that rich people do every day that poor people don't. If any of you have seen that, it's worth, it's worth a read. The problem is, and I've ref- referenced this before, and I'm a fan of Dave Ramsey. I'm a fan of Financial Peace University. But I need to say to you that correlation is not causation. That is to say, rich people can do those things every day because they're rich. That's not how they got there. Poor people would love to be able to do those things, but cannot because they're trying to survive. So as a result of that, I've just, Darren put me onto this and I've done some more research on this. But what are 20 things that poor people do every day? I'm not going to read them all, but I just want you to understand. These are the people for whom the coming of Christ ought to be good news. These are the people for whom the garden's existence ought to be good news in Long Beach. Because these are our people. What do poor people do every day? They look for a place to live. They try and make $133 worth of food last a month. Think about that. Not a week, a month. $133. That's the food stamp recipient. As a result of that, they end up subsisting on poor quality food. They can't choose from among the 25 varieties of waters that are available. They can't choose organic. They can't choose the freshest, biggest, bestest, mostest. They can't. They have to skip often meals, often so their children can eat. Only one in six Americans are food insecure. One in six. The poor, contrary to popular understanding, work longer and harder than most of us do. More than 80% of children in poverty have one parent who works. 60% one parent who works full-time. They're still in poverty. In other words, yes, sometimes it's because of bad decisions, but a lot of people are poor because they inherited poverty from a parent 
and a grandparent, a systemic system. And we could go on with this. Uh, um, 20 things, poor people, they try to avoid getting beat up by somebody they love. Half of all homeless women in America have run away to escape domestic violence. They pay more than their fair share in taxes. In fact, statistically, the bottom 20% of earners pay twice as much as a share of their income as do the top 1%. And on and on it goes. They live with chronic pain. They live shorter lives. On average, 10 to 14 years shorter. They use drugs and alcohol pretty much the same as everybody else. They receive less subsidized benefits than many corporations do. They get themselves off welfare as soon as it's possible. They have the same number of children as everybody else. If they're fortunate, they accomplish one single goal, and that is to stay alive. And these people are our people. That's not them, and this is not us. We, if we're going to follow Jesus, need to find strategic, individual, personal ways. And I'm, 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 I know, I know, I know, it's part of the DNA of the garden. I know some of you, many of you, this is what started us, Right? We started as a project for precisely the meeting of these kinds of needs. This text has been formative from the garden. From the, We cannot afford, as we continue to grow, we cannot lose touch with what set us in motion in the first place. So, what does that mean? I don't know what it means for you. I know what it invites me to. Some of you, it invites into the foster care system. Some of you it invites into the safe family system. Some of you it invites into a radical generosity. You have come to a place in your family system where you realize, I am, I am, I am not needing all of the money. I could spend all of the money I make to support a lifestyle that continues to grow as I make more money. But I'm going to choose to limit my lifestyle so that I have more to give away. I'm going to choose to use the wealth that Jesus has given me and blessed me with so I can become part of a solution, not part of a problem. That may be what an answer to prayer looks like. That's what, might, might, what repentance might look like for you. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? This is, this is not, be, be, I'm, I'm praying for you, be clothed, be fed. This is, I have resources here. Right? This is, this is what it looks like when Jesus... How many understand why they threw him, wanted to throw him off the cliff? Because when we pray, your kingdom come in Long Beach as it is in the heavens, this is what the answer looks like. And it is not coming from the heavens, it's coming through the church empowered by the Spirit. That's what it looks like. So when you wear your t-shirt... When you pray the prayer, can I invite you to put, what, it, what does it look like for you and your neighbor? 
I mean, and, and we haven't even begun to talk about the oppressed. We haven't even begun to talk about the, 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 the prisoners, most of whom we have more people in prison in this country than any other country in the world. Those people are our people. Only about a quarter to a third of the persons trafficked through the port of Long Beach are sex slaves. Two-thirds are domestic slaves. Maids. Low-cost workers. This is through the port of Long Beach, shipped in through container systems. Chunks of them end up in the sex industry. I get that. But in the United States, two-thirds end up as domestics in domestic servitude. Brought here by coyotes, promising a free life, a better life, if they'll only pay. Only to discover that they can never pay. Because the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Unless there's jubilee. Unless this is the year. And I, I, I long for the fact, uh, I, I long for the garden to be a place. Wait a minute, I keep closing that and making you think I'm quitting. <clears throat> Sorry. I will quit sooner rather than later. But I think it's important for us. Anybody else feeling the weight of this? And, 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 and I want you to feel the weight of it as, as I'm praying into this this week. This, okay, Lord. I, I, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Get invited into this. Because there's all kinds of ways that healing needs to come. There's all kinds of ways that oppression needs to be pushed back against. We, we need to recognize, just even, in the, even in the cycle of poverty, a lot of that is, is as a result of systemic evil in systems. There are demonic presences, principalities and powers. Uh, in, 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 in many of the cases of suburban poor particularly, but also urban and other, other parts of the country, the main reason poor people are poor is not because they don't have laws to protect them, but because the laws aren't enforced. Just the simple enforcement of laws. We, we have seen international but not national outrage at the gang rape of a woman on a bus in New Delhi. International, but not national. Somewhere in the vicinity, in certain provinces of Mexico, 90% of the murders don't get solved. It, it's not because we don't have laws against killing people. It's because some of you need to do pre-law and go work with international justice mission. Some of you heard me say that, and there was a pull in your spirit. Pay attention to that. You can't be called by me, but if you're called by God, pursue that with all diligence. Do, do you know? And whether it's, whether it's as an attorney or, or in some other way of support, can, can we start to get in line behind Jesus? Because he's going whether we're with him or not. And frankly... If he's going to get thrown off a cliff, I want to be with him. Okay, now I'm going to quit. <laughs>
But I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a minute. And Faith and the team are going to come back up. Some of you are here, and, 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 and you, you're the one that needs to be healed. You're the one at some level of poverty, some level of oppression. And I want to pray for you um, uh, this morning. But my sense is that the strongest push of this text to us as a church, as a community, is to say, Jesus, here am I. Use me. Send me. Brandon and Melissa are over in uh, Tanzania not because they like the weather, but because Jesus has called and sent them and he's equipping and empowering them to be there, to raise their daughter in a two-thirds world country. It's challenging. To not have available the healthcare systems that are readily available for us here. That's their call. What's yours? You're not called to do that. What are you called to do? What is Jesus tugging away at the Spirit, by the Spirit, at your heart? And as we transition into uh, response time, I want to take just a second and invite you to sit in stillness. And I want to pray. Um, I want to pray. So if you're here this morning and Jesus has begun to, to, to pull at some strings and you're willing to say, Lord, I'm not sure I'm going to like this, but if that's where you're going, that's where I'm going. Uh, I want to pray for you for courage. Is there anybody like that? Just raise your hand real quick right where you are. Yeah. Lord Jesus, um, I don't know what it means for these men and women. Um, but I pray, O oh Lord, that you would resource them with next steps wisdom. Financial, relational. Because they want to stick as close to you as they possibly can and are not sure what that might mean. Uh, for some of them, it might mean a relocation. For many of them, probably most of them, it's just going to mean staying right where they are and living out the gospel right where they are. I pray, O oh God, that they would take themselves seriously and that you, O oh Lord, would enable them to uh, recognize uh, the real possibility of being involved in the year of Jubilee for somebody in the setting of rights to somebody, in the justice that comes from the ground up for somebody. And I, and I just want to pray boldly, Lord, for us as a church, that you would slap us down if we ever forget uh, who we are and what we're here for. That you would help us to remember what in the world you came for and follow you wherever it is you lead to the poor, to the oppressed, to the imprisoned, to those who are blind. Oh God, please help us to be part of your mission in the world. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. 
more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.